Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello, welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. My name is Graham Brown. Today, we're going to talk about the thriving fintech scene in Asia. We're going to talk about blockchain, tokenization, identification, the whole financial services industry, how it's being disrupted, what's changing, what does it mean for us, whether we are in financial services or just general consumers? What is this change that's happening? Everybody's talking about these terms. So we need somebody to help us unpack these terms and make sense of them. To do that, I'm joined by Alex Medana, who is the board member of the FinTech Association of Hong Kong and co-founder and CEO of FinFabric. Alex, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me to speak today. Well, it's really good that you, you're here because a lot of what you do is you go out and deliver these keynote speeches about blockchain or about fintech and change and what it means to us in very simple terms. But these are very, very complicated technologies and ideas you know, underneath, or even though the change might be quite simple. And I think we hear a lot about this. We read in the media about we read about fintech, we hear about mm -hmm. blockchain, we hear about Bitcoin. And even though we're all impacted by these, and these are things that are going to change money, society, idea, government, wealth, distribution, all of that, I don't think we really know what's what. And we use the kind of terms interchangeably, don't we? Some people say Bitcoin, some people think Bitcoin is blockchain, but it's all quite different. So Alex, start us off, put us right, help us understand those three terms, Bitcoin, blockchain, fintech, because they're used so much today. What do we need to know about them? So, and, and usually when I speak, as you mentioned, you know, I have a few disclaimers because it's very, very important I set the scene, right? So number one, there's no experts um, and I can't pretend to be an expert of anything. Um, my background in, um, in financial services is more on the operation uh, side of things, you know, uh, trade, post-trade. So that's where I could say, yes, I'm an expert because I've done it for, say, 15, 16 years, and I've done it, and I've done, you know, uh, from trading to the balance sheet. So that's number one. Number two, I'm not a technologist, and I like to be very simple about it because, as you said, all these concepts, you know, so we can use the same word and talk across purposes. So I can say blockchain, I can say cryptocurrency, I can say machine learning, artificial intelligence. And because we want to show that we are, you know, a bit more intelligent or that mm. we are in the know, the now, the know um, we nod and we don't ask the, the, the question, what are you talking about? Why is that? Why, why are we talking about blockchain? What, mm. what, what is it, the purpose? So really, um, there's nothing new, by the way, with blockchain. Uh, the, 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 new, the news, I would say, it's about putting different things together, you know, cryptography, uh, distributed ledger, um, some hashing power, some tokenization. Token, a token is just a summary of a piece of information, right? So, and once you put them all together, it becomes Bitcoin. Bitcoin is interesting for me as, and by the way, there's no consensus and there's no pun intended. There's no consensus as to what it is. So mm. for some people, it's a currency. Others, they define it as a commodity, as whatever, as an asset. Um, to me, it's a way to exchange value. So just to give you a, a bit of a visual, imagine I have a piece of gold or silver, um, and if I'm really rich, platinum. 
So I have that piece of asset, of commodity in my pocket. Well, I can give it to you without knowing you, without anybody um, seeing what I'm doing, and we could have an exchange of value real time between us, between two strangers. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. So that, and whether whether you like that idea or not, uh, most in the financial services, in the banking world particularly, do not like that fact that we didn't do KYC, we didn't do um, um, uh, checks between each other, we don't know each other. Uh, a miner, uh, which is somebody who doesn't know us, who will validate our transaction, right, doesn't know us. So all of that raises big questions. But there's a store of value in a, in a way that one Bitcoin equals something, and then there's an, there's an exchange of value. So oh. I, I send you something. So that's very, very interesting, right? Um, blockchain is really the mechanism to, to tie all this information together, right? And why at a very, very simple level is because we do not trust each other, right? So if I give you um, some Bitcoin, you do not trust that one, they are legit, that two, um, um, I may not um, recreate them, and therefore, what I gave you, uh, the value of what I gave you, may uh, may become worthless. So, so the whole construct of the of this network of this um, kind of ecosystem is really to have no trust whatsoever. Mm. And the miners um, give that purpose to avoid what is called a double spend. So, if I have hundred dollars in my pocket, I have hundred dollars. I don't have multiple hundred dollars, which I print from my printer. But beyond all of that, just I, I like to use a um, very, very simple definition of blockchain, right? Blockchain to me, it's about timestamping information, uh, data, transactions, and the way I, I qualify information, and to me being a non-tech person, is really data in a bit better clothes. Mm. So something that has more meaning, that has more value, that we can understand better than, than data. And, and so blockchain, um, the, the, the attribute of blockchain is really to have a validation of that data. And then the data becomes in a chain of events that you can track um, from the origin of the first kind of transaction uh, back, back in the days of the first days of Bitcoin. And um, what it gives you, it gives you some attributes, uh, temper-proof, irreversible, um, you can't hack it. You can't change anything. And, and that is what I call tr truth-like. And that's very, very important. So to me, when I talk about blockchain, I always talk about data. Truth-like, why? Because between us, we can, we can say, oh, there was a transaction. It was time-stamped. I know that you delivered to me $100 or 100 Bitcoin or whatever. I was there. It's proven. It's recorded into a ledger. But... Um, if I were to put a, a fake piece of information, fake invoice, a fake, um, uh, a fake piece of gold, you know, to, to follow on, on my image earlier on, there was nothing that would let you um, uh, not accept it or prove it or, or, or uh, understand the validity of that piece of information. So it's truth-like. It will become the truth when everybody is on blockchain, on distributed ledger, and we can refer to that piece of data as, yes, it's real, it's a real invoice, it's a real piece of gold, it's real, it's true. And 
one of the dimensions to get there is to, um, I would say, develop more solutions, um, increase, I would say, the reach of what blockchain can do. We're still in infancy, by the way, still in uh, 2018. There are no businesses, you know, that well that uh, that run full time on blockchain that that use only blockchain um, at least at scale. Um, and then we need recourse. We need recourse. We need the legality around that transfer of ownership. Um, code is not law. Uh, a smart contract. Smart contract, by the way, is just um, uh, a program that says if, when, then. So if something happened, when something happened, then there's an outcome, there's an output. And it's automated. But you need somebody who codes that automation, that piece of program first. And then the computers, the machine will act upon that, that I would say, that incoming piece of data, that event, and then drive an outcome on an output. Well, it says contract, but it's not really a contract. It's not a rule. Mm. So we need, we need a lot of work around, you know, all of us, uh, you, me, the listeners, everybody, the fin, the tech, the fintech, um, everybody, the tech fin, to work around, solidify that piece. Finally, um, and on fintech, really, it's financial technology. It's nothing new, right? You could say IBM was a precursor of financial technology. It's just that that word means, oh, we are, we are a bunch of kids and we do cool things. We are entrepreneurs. Um, we use cloud-based solutions. So under that word, there's a lot of perception. There's a lot of colors. And we have to really think about what it does. It's purely financial technology. Right? Excellent. Alex, what a start. That's a, a very clear introduction to the subject area today. So let, let's back up a little bit. You, you mentioned mm. a couple of things which I want to focus on. The whole idea of truth-like and that effectively as i understand it as you explained it what the blockchain does is it's a distributed ledger a distributed store of information effectively of data so we can refer to it nobody owns it nobody can manipulate it i guess which is a key part of its strength its robustness and how we believe in it and i think you know it's important to establish how important trust and truth and credibility are in any currency because the word itself credit comes from the 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 latin word credo to believe right mm -hmm. I, I don't know yeah. what it is in in french it's what create right yeah yeah it's the same it comes from the same language right okay yeah. so it, it means to believe to believe in something and that's that's where you know the credit the whole idea of the credit system comes from doesn't it so mm -hmm. to believe because as long as we believe in it it works and so I guess what I want to ask you is that, well, if that's the case, if, if blockchain really is this vision of this distributed truth system where we can store information, we can store, you know, the, the information about a currency or transactions in it, if nobody can manipulate it, well, mm. isn't that a challenge? Because so much of the financial industry and especially government policy is about manipulating financial systems in a way i mean look at quantitative easing as an example or that was really just manipulating a currency right printing money out of nothing so you're not just talking about money you're talking about power and social structures and government and everything touched by that no so okay so there's a lot of um hmm, topics in what you said um 
and we could spend hours, but I've tried to pick <laughs> Help something. me out here. Just start with the yeah. top. Unpack it. Um, so I think you, you nailed it. And, and you know, to, to me, remind everybody, you know, I'm a thin person. I'm a fintech. So um, I'm sure some of your auditors, will, listeners will disagree with what about to say, but because my perception bias is based on 19 years in that space, right? Mm. So I've, I've been only three years, I'm a rookie in FinTech. Um, so trust, truth is very, very powerful, whether I trust the system or I, I trust you in the system, right? So that's very, very important. Yes, blockchain was built on the premises that we do not need or we do not want to trust each other. Right. So, so that's number one. Um, there is something um, I like to mention, which I call centralized decentralization, which is mm. for ID management. Um, so there's only one Graham. There's only one Alex in the world. I mean, that's what we think. Right. That's what our parents are telling us. Yeah, you're the only one. I love you, my son. Mm. But can you prove it? Right. Can you prove it? Number one. So what are the attributes that helps you prove that you're the only one? passports, your LinkedIn profile, maybe this uh, podcast and, and whatever. That data is all over, is all over, right? And it's not uh, residing in one space, in one area. It's not uh, created by one entity. But imagine a world whereby, and there's a big question mark as well. Um, I have a lot of questions. I have some answers, but I have more questions than answers. Whereby you have an entity, and it could be an entity just for the purpose of the transaction that we're about to enact between you and I, mm -hmm. where that entity creates me, creates my idea, so in a centralized way. And then the way I use me, I use my idea, I decentralize, I distribute it, right? And that's very interesting as well because what I see in the power of the customer experience. What we design, by the way, at FinFabric, it's everything with the user at the center of everything we do, right? It sounds corny, it sounds fluffy, but we really mean it by interviewing real users. So imagine the power of the user, of the customer, where I can distribute permission and unpermission based on the quality of the service, based on the nature of the transaction, based on, you know, uh, my feeling as well. So that's mm. that. And maybe we can come back to that. In terms of the the government and destroying value, adding value. Um, so if you look at cryptocurrency, crypto fiat, from a government, from a central bank, it's a very, very powerful uh, tool, right? Because you can control M2, the money in circulation, real time. So imagine, fast forward, and I don't know, it is 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, five months, five years, but imagine you come to Hong Kong. So I know you're in Hong Kong because of your visa, because of your card or, or whatever. So you're digitalized, you're digitized already. And then you have a crypto Hong Kong dollar that you use on a wallet. So I already have a view as to how much you uh, own, how much you spend. So I can, I can take out from your spending, you know, uh, taxes, uh, income taxes, VATs. I, I know if you come here uh, to work, right? Mm. Um, and then I know the money in circulation real time. So I can uh, influence inflation. I can influence the money in circulation. So that's very, very powerful. The counterpoint of that is I know where you are. I know who you are, where you are. And if you disclose that, um, you earn, I don't know, 1,000 US per month and I can see you spend 
$200 every day on coffee, I may question, you know, uh, why um, you declare so little. So, so that's that. I think we are, we are going towards less control and more control, and that's an inflection point. Um, more control through maybe um, using data, right, using data. That's a conversation I had yesterday, by the way, on data privacy. I'm French, as you can hear. Uh, Europeans, French particularly, and Germans, mm. uh, we have a strong view on data privacy. China, I would say, has less of a strong view or, or they try out. And, and why is that? Is maybe because of the value add of the service or the incentive that you have as a client, as a customer, as a user, by sharing your data freely, right? It could be um, uh, ease of use, uh, um, it could be uh, rewards, it could be whatever, but there's incentive to share da data. So going back to your overall questions, uh, I, I don't know if I, if, I, if I have a clear vision as to destroying or creating value, right? What I really believe, by the way, I do not so much believe in cryptocurrency. So I love, I love what has been created with Bitcoin and Ethereum and, and it's created, um, I guess, why we talk today, right? It's mm. created a lot of focus, attention on data, on workflow, on, on currency, on speed of execution, on data privacy, on trust, blah, blah, blah. Um, but where I see the future, I see really the future in real assets. Right. Real asset tokenization, right? So a token, as I explained, is a summary of something. It could be Alex123. Alex123 is a summary of me. And within me, you have everything. You have my wealth, my health. You have my gender, my date of birth, my whatever, my career, my achievements and, and uh, failures because they are, um, there's more failures than uh, achievements in my life. So uh, all of that. So think of a blockchain of, of all the data, think of folders, right? And you add data. You can't take out any data into that folders, but you can You can add uh, data. You can add a new transaction, a new value, a new a new piece of invoice, a new document in that folder. And that's the way as well. I like to describe um, blockchain. You cannot touch the folder. You cannot take out any documents in that folder, but you can add. Right. So. Let me understand this now. Where we are, we're in a world where that exists, I mean, in the sense that that data is out there, but it's either owned by a company mm -hmm. who, who collect, you know, for example, Facebook as an example, or, yeah. you know, a, a credit rating agency, a FICO, a GEICO, an Experian has a lot of information about our spending behavior and our background and so on, or governments have censuses. You know, th there's lots of very siloed, you know, stores of information about us. And then there's a, there's a huge percentage which is stored in our head. And, yeah. you know, we carry that around with us, like this information. And there's a, there's, there's a lot distributed as well on the internet and social media and so on. Yeah. What, are you, what are you talking about? Are you talking about all of that sort of converging onto a, a distributed ledger where nobody actually can touch it or control it? Is that sort of the vision of blockchain? Yeah. So, and it's my vision. It's, it's really about, so what you mentioned is, um, if you look back and we define me as the sum of all the data points that you mentioned, I'm all over the place, right? Mm. Um, I'm, I don't own myself. I don't own my idea. I don't own my health record. So I see that there will be a driver using technology really as an enabler to 
control who I am or, or what I am and then distribute that. So permission and have a control as to where it goes. Because really today, um, data privacy or not, um, my, my data, my IP address, my, you know, my geolocation on my mobile phone, my credit card, whatever, do I have any control on that? Absolutely mm. not. And so what I'm, what I'm suggesting is we think about if we were to reverse and give control back to the user and the technology may be an enabler for that to happen, then can you imagine that world where really I distribute my data? And then I could be rewarded for distributing myself, right? Um, that's a very interesting proposition as well. Yeah. Is it, is it in parallel to democratization? Is that, you know, mm -hmm. I wonder, I mean, if we sort of go back in terms of how society has shifted, and this I mm -hmm. find fascinating because you're French, yeah. and you go right. way back to the French Revolution. So let's, let's rewind if we can. Alex, mm -hmm. 200 and what, 20, 230 years ago to the end of the 18th century. Mm -hmm. And that whole idea of the individual emerging as a sort of a sole control of their own destiny. So you have all those sort of great thinkers like Victor Hugo and you've got Prokop and all these kind of people who are fomenting this idea about the revolution and change. Mm -hmm. Are there parallels or because, you know, what you're talking about, not owning your individual data, people may argue that. In fact, it's sort of going back the other way because maybe all those ideas that came from the French Revolution, obviously, you know, that influenced America and the rest of the world, you mm -hmm. know, that was all about individual control. But where are we now? Well, we are in a modern way where it's not individually, it's not state, it's a little bit of everything. But, you know, ask yourself the question, do you know where you are right now? Do you know who is using you right now? Right. Um, and we don't know that. So, and it's, uh, by the way, it's a question. I don't have a problem and I don't have, um, I'm not a revolutionary by any sort, you know, I, I don't do politics, but it's, it's, to me, it's about asking the why of that technology and, and, you know, how it will evolve and what it can give us, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what are the benefits? So for me, you know, technology is always an enabler. It's not that important. It's an attribute. It's something that we can that we can use to our advantage. So if we look at ID and data management, which for me, when we talk about blockchain, right, the timestamping, the irreversibility, the temper proof, and all the other attributes of blockchain, ask a lot of questions about data, about ID, about me, right, and the centralization, the decentralization, the distribution, the real time distribution of me, and 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 you could say that. Right. I still don't own myself, but maybe I see where I am used, right? Mm. Where my ID is used, because there could be a, 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 an ID, you know, the Alex123 that is universal and that is used everywhere. So when I log somewhere and it's only me because there's a private key um, that I use that you can link back to me. So, so to me, it's about really asking the question from an individual why why do we need all these technologies where they are going? And I like to think that um, in terms of the ID identification, the KYC, you know, of me, that's where we're going to go. Um, what I will always say as well is that it cannot be just the thing, the tech, the tech thing, the, the whatever, the lawyers. We need to be all around the table, yeah. right, and talk about these things. 
because yeah. they impact all of us. And you started, you know, our conversation with, yes, we're all impacted by that. So we're impacted knowingly. We are impacted unknowingly. And I can tell you, you know, I, I, I read a lot. I'm in the middle of fintech and there's a lot of things that I don't know, right? So imagine our parents, people around us, they know much less. So what is the impact? And if the impact is, is positive or negative, we need to get them in, right? We need to advocate. So that's why I'm, when I go and talk, I, I always like to um, shake feelings or, 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 or create some thoughts or create some questions more than answers so that people will find their way, their journey. They start a journey of discovery and say, oh, what is that blockchain? What is that AI? What is that fintech? I need to know now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, you're, you're raising questions in my head, which is exactly job done, really. And I'm sure the listeners are, are sort of now thinking in their head, what does this mean? Mm. You know, what do I need to know as well? I, I think the challenge is that, you know, when you start talking about concepts like we don't own me, yeah, you know, I, I don't own me. Well, I, I think the, the, the challenge here is that for a lot of people, that concept is so outside of their normal day-to-day -day existence. You know, yes. it's like, okay, well, that's just too difficult for me. It's like a square peg in a round hole, right, in terms of their understanding. So how do we, you know, you're, you're talking about bringing everybody around the table. How do we make that make sense to the guy in the street? You know, you can't say to somebody, oh, you don't owe you, because mm -hmm. that won't make any sense. How do we sort of put it in their language? You're talking about user experience. How do we put it into their head? This is what it means to them. So very interesting. And, and by the way, the disclaimer is, is I'm the crazy guy, right? The crazy ones. We yes. love the crazy ones. Go on, Alex. You've got license to be crazy here. Oh, th thank you. Um, um, and, and, you know, so I, li I, like, I like to pull people, right? And I mm. don't pull them towards me. That is very, very important. You know, it's all about creating tensions, positive, of course, creating different viewpoints so we advance together. Um, and I'm not right, and, and I don't care if I'm wrong, right? But it's, it's about, have we thought about all of these things? So um, user experience, that's very interesting, right? So, so when practically, when we do, when we build stuff, we look at motivations and needs, never needs, right? Because needs are biased. Uh, you know them or you don't know them. And if you don't know them, you will come up with something that has no value. So to go back to the way I would say, I would, I would take an example, maybe a journey through um, a payment, a customer experience, uh, going into a bank, uh, asking for a loan, and then asking the people. So look at all these touch points. Number one, do you know them? Because you've never worked in a bank, you don't see that. Do you have a problem with your data being all over? Do you have a problem or not a problem because that's a direct question, right? So we, we do, uh, we would do more of, uh, of analysis, analysis on, on, on their journey, um, how, how they would click on things, how they would talk to people, you know, what, what their motivations and, and behaviors, but the output would be, look, have you realized where me is, you know, how it was used without you knowing Yes, you signed a disclaimer, but me is all over the place and you didn't have any control. So I would step back to really something that is measurable, that is visible and that is meaningful, that is very simple to understand. And there's no jargon. There's no fluff. It's just an experience. Because at the end of, of the day, we are um, 
we are experience, you know, we do experience as, as people, right, mm. with our senses. Technology, as I said, you know, is not that, that important. To me, it has to be useful, it has to be usable, and it has to be used. Otherwise, it's pointless. Um, another thing I like to mention is that all of what we talk about is fair and, and good, right? But is nobody wants it, nobody needs it. So what? It will never happen. Yeah. Well, well, I wonder as well is that a lot of the, 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 I suppose the intermediaries, and this is a key, I've chosen that, that word carefully, that you've mm -hmm. talked about. You talked about banks, loans. Um, we haven't talked about credit card companies, but it's in there, credit agencies, all, all these organizations which are effectively intermediaries. Cause, you know, yeah. they don't, they don't loan their money. They loan other people's money. And often they loan money, which is nobody's money. You know, they're loaning money they don't have. So, you know, will they exist under a world where blockchain really is the sort of the dominant form of <clears throat> storing information and contracts and distributing of wealth? Yeah. So, so I guess, all right. So, so there's a few dimensions of it, right? So let's look at data. Let's look at ID. You need some of these intermediaries to, uh, I would say, be the repository maybe of me as a uh, fallback mechanism, as a vault, as a safe, right? So as a custodian of me, mm. think about it. It could be as a trust because you, we've just met. I want to sell you 100 kilo, kilos of gold. Um, so you might need somebody uh, uh, who showed you, uh, who, who introduced you to, to, who introduced me to you, right? And then say, yes, Alex is approved for these reasons. So that's that's second. Where I see um, very interesting. So when you look at banking, it comes from uh, the word uh, banco, which is a bench, and it started mm. in, in Italy, you know, in 13th century or 11th century. I'm not. I need to, 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 to ask the Google guy, but it was, I'm sitting on the bench and I have something that I have and that you don't. Of course, I have money, but I have information, right? And information asymmetry is how financial markets have been built, right? Whether it's credit card, whether, you know, so you charge me 30% interest, I don't know if it's fair or unfair. And I will judge it's fair or unfair because your competitor is charging 25% or 35%. But the intrinsic value of the 30% as a consumer, there's no way for me to understand it, to define it, right? So information asymmetries is one thing. And if you look at the way the blockchain has evolved in the last three to four, four years, there's a lot of consortia building, um, um, whether, by the way, it's private chain, side chain, blockchain, DLT, I'm not going to go into too much of an argument, but let's call it DLT right? Distributed ledger technology. So you have these consortia putting themselves together. And the question I have, which by asking it, you would think I already know the answer. And you know, the answer is, are they not maintaining the information asymmetry that they've been enjoying for the last, you know, how many centuries? Mm. So that's one, right? Two, if they don't maintain that information asymmetry. So in my uh, previous example, there's a custodian of me and there's a validator of me who says, Alex is a good guy, 100 kilos of gold are legit. Well, we don't need anybody else to exchange that value between you and I, right? Mm -hmm. we, can swap, we can swap assets, we can swap data, information, transactions between us. So the intermediary that said, hey, Alex wants, or 
by the way, there's no Alex because uh, most likely that information is, is not shown to you. It would be, hey, there's 100 kilos of gold to be sold and the price is X. That's how markets are, are set up. Mm. So that imagery going forward, we don't need them anymore because we have a direct uh, relation. So, you know, I, I see three stages when I talk about real assets tokenization. Right? The number one is what I call primary, which, I, which is I issue something on a blockchain. Right? So I have a company that owns a building uh, today. Whether you're an individual and most likely a professional investor or where, whether you are an institution, you would buy shares in that company. Okay? And you would have some shares that represent an ownership of the ultimate beneficial ownership of that building. Mm -hmm. Should we sell the building, you have a percentage that is attributed to you. Well, so we could tokenize that. And everybody asks me, but you know, so why? What, what? What are you changing? Well, actually, I'm not changing a lot because it's still a bearer form. There's still a contract. There's still a share that is paper somewhere in Cayman Island, in BVI, somewhere. There's still intermediaries, fund admin, and so forth. But what it gives us, it gives us the start of the workflow, the start of the ecosystem. And I will come back to it. And then it gives us the opportunity to have a reach that maybe is very limited today. And the reach is based on, I need to talk face-to-face -to, -face to somebody. I need to, you know, do a roadshow. I need to, to be, some, you know, somewhere. But imagine that we can distribute that information. And that information is not to be tampered. So the validity of that transaction, on, on, of that information can be sent throughout the world. The reach, that's number one. We can automate cash flow, right, through smart contracts. So when there's a dividend, when there's a rent on, on the building or... Um, or, or, or there's a, a new valuation of that building, then you get credited real time. So that's interesting. But where it becomes a little bit more in interesting is secondary. So going back to my example, you bought some shares and I'm interested in buying it from you. Well, we don't need an intermediary other than the platform on which we can exchange the assets. That's interesting because then we start thinking about the liquidity. We start uh, uh, thinking about transparency, speed, mm. right? But it's still not exciting because maybe we still have the vault somewhere in BVI. Now, the third level, which is I'm most excited and um, we're pitching to a few clients to work on that, but you can see that they really don't know, they don't understand, and maybe there's a regulatory environment that is not conducive to, for that. It's tertiary when there's no more intermediaries. Now, you still have the shares of that building, but I have shares in a vineyard or in um, Ferrari or, um, or horse racing or, or stables or whatever. And we can swap the token, the representation, the shares, the digital shares on that platform. We mm. only need to trust each other. We only need to believe the opposite side of the trade. So you think that buildings is not... Um, a way forward is not a market um, that is sustainable, and I believe that vineyards are, you know, are done. And you believe the contrary of me, and I believe the contrary of you. Right. And that is the future, and I share for a few reasons. Two reasons, right? It's about the trap liquidity that is in uh, over-the-counter OTC um, securities assets, bonds, 
private debts, private shares. So I own shares of my company. If tomorrow I want to buy uh, a flat, I can't do anything with these shares. Of course, my company is 18 months old, so the value will be heavily discounted, but I can't use that. I can't use maybe the jewelry or the art or, or whatever the car I own in if I needed liquidity. I can't swamp them. I can't participate in other markets. I'm, I'm trapped. And it's incredulity. And then the second tenant of that, or the opposite side of that trade, is financial inclusion, whereby you have, and the numbers uh, needs to be, they need to be revised. But you have um, the last numbers; they were in 2015. They were two billion uh, underbanked, unbanked. Uh, and imagine they can't afford buying stocks on the market, maybe for literacy, maybe for access to financial services provider. But imagine in a world where it's a platform and they can think in amounts rather than quantity. I have $5 and I will buy $5 worth of shares, gold or whatever. And that is democratization. And these this two, um, I would say, opposite side of the trade, untrapping the liquidity, releasing the liquidity, and then um, getting uh, the unincluded, including into the financial services I'm not ecosystem will will to me right, and I can be totally wrong. Um, I'm, I don't think I am, but but maybe I'll be uh, very old when that happens, if ever. It's really about that that drive towards real assets tokenization. Yeah, I mean these have profound impacts for Asia, especially, don't they? I yes. mean, I mean, it, it, let's just focus on that last one, especially. You know, you only have to look at India as an example. Yeah. Where of those two billion unbanked, mm-hmm. let's say I would have thought maybe twenty five percent, maybe half a billion, probably were in India. I mean, India alone has like three hundred, four hundred million illiterate people. Yeah. So that, in a way, it's similar to trap liquidity, isn't it? Because the mm-hmm. liquidity is trapped deliberately, isn't it? it it's held. And it's, people are excluded from certain systems, whether it's a lack of a credit rating or a lack of access to capital or for whatever reason, it, it's part of the whole sort of structure, isn't it? It's the whole game. It's, it's set up like that. How, how do you think these things are going to change? I know you, you said you don't know if you're going to see it in your lifetime, but what's sort of foreseeable in the, the near horizon in terms of how blockchain um, you know, this this distribution of ID, especially, and, you know, yeah. access to maybe, you know, n- new forms of payment or new capital or whatever it is, mm-hmm. will change places like, I mean, take it to the extreme, rural India. Will people there be impacted by it? Well, so, I mean, they've started to be impacted positively by, you know, the drive towards bio, um, you know, I, I don't know, identification or what is the, the right word, but putting um, uh, their data, you know, their biometric data on a card that they can, that they can use. Right. And that's very, very powerful because, you know, that's the me I, I was talking about. So if I'm somewhere in India, I could have um, a card and I could have my biometric on that card and there's only me. So whether I'm literate or illiterate, I could refer to that card or to that, to this biometric data. So, so I think there's a lot of work, right? So we're working on, on, on a, a macrofinance piece and always the question is about, you know, the end clients, because you can't, 
you can't put the have-nots in one bucket. The same as you can't put the haves in one bucket based on, oh, they have 1 million AUM, 10 million AUM, and they are, you know, mass affluent and so forth. So you have to understand as well the drivers, where they are, uh, why they are um, in, that, in that category. By the way, as well, what is very interesting is the perception bias that we have, the biases that we have. Um, some make a choice to be um, not included for religion purposes, or maybe because somebody in their family is already included. Right. So to me, I, I would like to ask a question to answer your question. It's really why, what will make them included? Right. So it's access to capital. It's giving maybe their children a better future, because I see to me there is um, a strong correlation between financing gap and unbanked, underbanked. Yeah. So, you know, informal SME, if you add the informal SME, it's uh, 2.4 trillion, if, if I remember well. 1.6 is in Asia. And usually informal SME, there's a strong correlation with women employment and, and, and empowerment, um, uh, financial inclusion, of course, health and education, right, literacy. So there's, there are strong correlation, not causation, but correlation. Mm. So, so I think it's, it's really about identifying each and every uh, sub-segment, a farmer, a moms and pop shops, and addressing their needs. Um, what, what I like to talk about is the journey um, towards financial sophistication. And it's to start with, you don't know me, as you said, you don't know me, so we have to create a credit history. And in most countries, by the way, there's no ID or the ID um, could be biometric record and it's paper-based and, and, and so forth, right? So creating that idea is number one. Um, so I will have micro deposits because I have some money. That's as well, you know, in the West, we think that underbanked and unbanked have no money. They have, hmm. but it's not in the ecosystem or it's in micro, um, you know, the size, micro sizes. So let's start with deposits. That creates a history, a credit scoring. Very quickly, there will be loans. Problem of the loans, the way I see them, is that they maintain me in my poverty circle, right? In my cycle of, of not circle, cycle of poverty. High interests or what we say, you know, hand to mouth. Mm. Because as soon as I pay it, I need to, to have another loan and so forth. But what about if we were building some... Um, some workflow, some ecosystem, because the technology, the, the cost of the technology is getting lower and lower and lower, whereby the interest rates could be lower, right? We still make money as financial uh, services in this institution. But the purpose is to bring, and sorry if I say these people because I don't have a better word right now, but we accelerate them towards the sustainability, right? Mm -hmm. So... Payments, deposits, lending, and then they start invest, investing, which was which which is what I was referring earlier on, fractional ownership of shares, of gold, of, of whatever. Right? And 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 there are other dimensions, you know, insurance and, and so forth, life insurance, protection. But see that journey. Now the technology for me, it's about asking the question, can we accelerate that? Can we connect to the last mile? Yes, we can connect to the last mile. But how? 
or mobile phone, or the cost of mobile phone. We can get mobile phone for four or five dollars nowadays. Mm. Okay, is there any Wi-Fi? Oh, but the cost to put a mast in that region is X. And what is the incentive? So, so I think it's not a possibility. It is a possibility, but you need to have different actors around the table, um, and that gets incentivized all together differently to make sure that we stop talking about financial inclusion. We stop talking about women empowerment, financial literacy, um, health, wealth, all of that, because we've done it, because we've worked on it. And so blockchain, by the way, blockchain doesn't cure cancer. Blockchain is not the silver, uh, silver bullet. Um, artificial intelligence is not that, but it's an enabler. And it's an enabler to ask these fundamental questions. Why are they not in the ecosystem? And maybe they do not want. And if they do not want, leave them alone. Right? I wonder as well, I mean, the reason they do not want, it's also, there's a lot of deeper reasons here. I just want to unpack that a little bit because it's absolutely fascinating what you're saying. When you talk about financial inclusion, there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of studies done, I mean, about how the the payment history or the repayment history of somebody who traditionally was unbanked is significantly higher than the what's the word the, not the prejudiced view but the sort of the expectation of what their payment history would be like i mean the example being one of the famous examples that's often used is the grameen bank yeah. um, example uh mohammed yunus would who won the the nobel peace prize would uh yeah go out to these villages and find women who are making baskets, weaving baskets. Mm -hmm. And she would only ever make enough selling the baskets to buy enough raw material back from, you know, the person who effectively owned her by, you know, it was a semi-feudal relationship. So, but, you know, when they went out there and loaned money to these women, they, they went out and bought bulk stores of their supplies from different people. They, then, you know, uh, would use that money to put their kids into school. They would repay the loan. And, you know, with something like a 97% repayment rate, which, you know, is phenomenally high compared to just a standard middle-class borrower, right? So I wonder as well, when you talked about trap liquidity, that maybe part of it is the fact that, you know, the people who have the the access to wealth and should be lending this money aren't lending it because, you know, of their ideas about these unbanked, I say, again, these people, as you say, it sounds a bit cruel, but let's take a them and us attitude from the, the viewpoint of a bank or a financial institution, right? Is that, you know, that is their, they're, they're the ones holding up, not lack of a technology, but the mindset perhaps, and maybe blockchain coming in will free that up. Yeah, so um, one of the greatest philosophers, you know, James Brown, huh. he said, don't give me a handout, hand out, give me a way out, right? There you go. Uh, and, and that's an amazing thing. So I think that there's, there's again, and, and I like talking to you because there's a lot of dimension. You know, it's like Russian dolls when you ask questions <laughs> or when you have a comment. And I guess my answers are likewise. There's a lot um, which could be confusing. Um, I have that feedback often and I live with it. Sorry about that. <laughs> but so, so, you know, there's community pressure, right? So you gave me a hand out, you gave, you gave me a way out, you helped me, I owe you that type of, you know, so the incentive is not to let you down. Uh, face as well, you know, in Asia particularly, right? The community, so there's studies that 
um, show that if you lend through, you know, a community, the as you said, the NPL, the non-performing loans, are lower or the repayments are higher. It could be a religious as well. So there's there's a few kind of dimension. Um, and I think, you know, if you look at financial inclusion in the last, I don't know, 100 years, it was always, I'm going to give you money and, and maybe I will have a view as to how you spend, but mm. I'm giving you something, right? And there's no involvement on your side, on your part. What I'm suggesting is that let's go out and talk and talk and understand, you know, their behaviors, their motivations and build technology that can be very cost effective around that journey and help them. And by the way, that's commercial, but it's, it's not, it's not say, I will build a bank and I will go to IPO in, you know, two years and I'll do series A, B, C, D, F, G and so forth. Right. You can, you can have, you can make commercial sense of bringing the, um, unincluded, included into, into the, the financial ecosystem, but it's micro. Right? You cover your costs and you have small margins and they are repeat customers. Mm. <laughs> you know, mm. <laughs> they are repeat customers and you grow and there's millions and millions and millions and millions. Right? Um, but I think my point really today is that we need to wake up. We need to do something. We need to do something about it. Technology is, is, a, is a way to address that, connecting to the last mile. We need to have the telcos. Um, you know, with the financial services. By the way, you know, we all, um, one of the examples I always um, use in terms of payments, you know, um, mobile payments is a, it's an invention from Philippines, right? From the telcos in Philippines. And not on a smartphone, not on a, uh, just on feature phones. And that is amazing because if you look at when it was, um, first we, um, uh, released, I think like 20 years ago, um, I need to look at my numbers. So please don't judge me if I'm uh, uh, way out of sync by five or 10 years, but it was a long time ago. Nothing yeah. happened. Did they keep the information asymmetry? Did they keep the technology asymmetry? Did they keep, I don't know, because I'm not there. But what was interesting is that a long time ago, we could have done a lot more um, with mobile payments. And then everybody focuses on what happened in Africa. Uh, what about Latin America? Do we know what's happening there? Most likely not. So I think, you know, as I said, it's, I have a lot of questions and we need, we, need, we need to ask, you know, all of us in that space or out of that space, what is meaningful? What is meaningless? What is fluffy? What is, excuse my French, but bullshit, you know, mm. and do real stuff. And then put solution out there and they work, they fail, they break, we fix them. We improve them. They are used. They are not. And they are not used. If they are not used, why? And then move on, move on, move on, and improve. Without a doubt. And you know what, Alex, I like you because you're the first French person I've heard who's actually said, "Excuse my French." Yeah. I always wonder whether if I was to say that, that would offend French people because whatever follows is obviously yeah. a swear word. But well done. Thank uh, you for clearing the air on that or making me feel like <laughs> I'm not actually offending the whole nation. Hey, listen. <laughs> I've absolutely loved this conversation. And, you know, I, I want to throw it back to you because you're always asking questions. So I want to ask you a question without asking a question as an answer. Mm. Tell me, what is the format? What, what is the forum for this? Because you're, you're talking about we need to have these conversations. We need to ask these questions. Where does that happen? What is the best place or format for that? What, what do you want to see? 
where do you want to see these questions being addressed? Because these are big questions. Yeah. You know, do we get together in a committee? Do we have an event? What What is the best way of doing it? You must have thought of this. What works? So, so that's part of the reason why I'm on the uh, FinTech Association board. As well, I'm on the, uh, um, and it's a long kind of t- title, but I'm on the Digital Task Force, uh, Digital Economy Task Force of the UN SCAP. Um, and these are the forums. But I would say, look, we have a coffee together. Why don't address this together, you know, one plus one? And then talk to one another. As I said, create tensions between you and I because we have diverging views. We come from different backgrounds. We have, you know, we see maybe technology differently or, or whatever. And, and then we multiply that. Um, so I'm a, I'm a kind of a half-full type of optimist. Mm. Uh, and when you get a chance to talk about these things, take that chance. You know, take that chance. Don't, don't, don't feel like you will be a fool. Um, don't feel that you will be judged. And if you're judged, so what? Because we need to do things, right? It's about time we do real stuff. Um, you know, so I do a lot of mentoring for startups. I do uh, a lot of speaking. Maybe you can hear that in my voice. Um, I'm part of a lot of committees. I like to mentor and give back. But there's a lot of fluff and a lot of nonsense. And it's about chasing the next ICO, IPO, and the next, you know, uh, becoming rich. But there are, there are bigger um, type of questions that we need to address. And maybe I'm biased, right? I'm biased because well, I lived in India. I adopted my daughter in India. Um, and I've seen it, you know, and I, and I didn't do much. Uh, so maybe I, I take that as a responsibility uh, as an entrepreneur to do something about it. But the forums, they are the four, sorry, one forum, two four, um, they can be you and I, mm. right? They can be your podcast. They can be anywhere. They can be in a bar. And then you multiply. They can be on a LinkedIn posting something, right? Um, I posted, I think, three or four days ago, something I, I found magnificent. And it's not because they are French-Canadian, but in Quebec, you had 700 doctors, professors, um, you know, radiologists, and they disagreed with their pay rise because it should have been rebalanced towards yeah. the nurses, the people who are, you know, spending a lot of time while doing the real work, right? And, and so that, that, this type of things, this type of examples, we are, which are meaningful, we need to share them uh, a bit more rather than yeah. just the bad things and yeah. give us give each other hope but yeah for or anywhere you want yeah i mean those are great words and i saw that news as well i was quite touched by that mm. because in a way it's it sets an example doesn't it because i think people always default to you know like you say the blockchain is based on the presumption that we don't trust each other yeah <laughs> uh, that that's maybe part of human nature but also human nature is is very social so in, in a way, when you, you talk about those stories, people think, oh, actually, you know, that's a good example of what a good person does, yeah. you know, yeah. with, with their position of power and influence, right? A doctor, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, top of the chain in society. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the more stories we share like that, especially with this technology, the more important. And I think importantly, and like yourself, you're a great communicator. You. you know, I think that we need people to put that face on, that voice on this change because until that happens it's just binary it's just zeros and ones which you know the guy in the street what you know what does this mean to me i don't understand it right 
So it's and, sort of philosophical for them that you know, it's not important to their daily lives, but it really is, right? So we need to communicate that and turn it into stories. And and by the way, I, I, I want to be seen as an enabler. Whether I'm successful or not, it really doesn't matter. But it's about enabling, enabling cha- change. And change, you know, um, comes with questions, comes with failures, comes with really uh, havoc. Uh, and big questions about, you know, security, insecurity and all of that. Um, so let, let's put together a circus uh, or a book or films together. <laughs> and circus, I like that. <laughs> I love it. Alex Madonna, everybody. What a fantastic guest. He is the co-founder and CEO of FinFabric, board member for FinTech Association, and the other very long one, the task force, which I won't try and remember, but we'll put it in the show notes. The crazy one, enabler as well. And, you know, if you want to reach out to Alex, I'm sure I'd be happy to have a conversation with you. If, If you're ready, if you're prepared to have your mind open like a Russian doll, as he said, the many dimensions of possibility, the questions he's going to ask you. Alex, where do people find out more about you? Because I'm sure people are going to be curious to know about you and your story. Well, so LinkedIn is, is you know, it's my main uh, medium. Um, I never say no uh, to a coffee. One, because I'm addicted. <laughs> Two, uh, because I, I'm, I'm selfish, by the way. Let me tell you, I'm very, very selfish and I'm interested to learn more about you than, than give you my story. So I want to learn from you guys. Um, I want to share, you know, uh, always share about all the failures I've been through. Um, and then, you know, I, I don't want to change the world because it sounds corny, you know, to make a better place and blah, blah, blah. But it's really to, to do, again, I will swear, I'm so sorry, but to do shit, to do real stuff. Melt. And not, you know, not just talk too much about it because it's not about me, 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 me. It's not about putting forward uh, something of somebody, but it's putting forward ideas that makes us reflect. So LinkedIn is a way, you know, uh, find me. Um, otherwise, Graham, you can share my details. I'm more than happy. Right? I'm a global citizen as well. So I travel everywhere, in Asia particularly, um, sometime in Europe. Uh, I haven't been in US for quite some time. If you want to invite me, um, so be it. Uh, I speak Spanish, by the way, as well. <laughs> French. I speak a little Hindi, so I can have multiple conversations in multiple language. But yeah, I'm open. Thank you. <laughs> You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.